If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hey everyone, welcome to Seeking Witchcraft. It's me, Ashley, and today's topic is going to be about how to make your own tools. So that's really exciting. To discuss this, I have on Joe. So Joe, thanks so much for coming on. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm Joe. I um, am a witch from Sydney, Australia, and I specialize in making not just tools, just magical artifacts of all kinds. I run a, I wouldn't call it a shop, it's more like a, a personal indulgence called Urban Fawn, where people can come and uh, uh, ask me to make any kind of mad stuff, and I showcase what mad stuff I'm currently working on. And uh, yeah. How long have you been making your own tools for? Was this something that you kind of started from day one, or is this something that you've learned to do over time? Well, I, I work as a designer, and so I, I work in a creative industry. But obviously, being behind a computer all day long, it's not as creative as people think it is. So I tend to try and indulge that creative urge outside, and my witchcraft was obvious place for me to do that. Uh, I guess I've been a witch for more than 20-something years now, and, and making things and tools has always been a, a really big expression, a really big part of how I express my craft. So to answer your question, about 20-odd years or so and yes pretty much from the beginning I was making my own tools that's pretty cool so (laughs) let me let me ask you this so I am not a creative person whatsoever at all I have no experience making my own tools (laughs) aside from maybe picking up a stick that I found outside and being like yep this is mine now this is my tool (laughs) which should involve nothing just me finding it so is this something that like even I could do with no experience and making tools at all and no creativity to make my own tools? Absolutely. Um, it's one of my one of my little bugbears is um, is this idea that people have, which is that I'm not creative. I can't do that. Now, I, I get that constantly. I, I'll show something online and people go, oh, that's so great. Oh, I wish I was talented. I'm just not that creative. And, you know, and my answer to that is nonsense. You just think you're not creative our, our culture doesn't doesn't value art and doesn't teach artistic skill and so we get to a certain age and you know there's a there's an age at about 12 where children generally will will start have an amazing internal life their imagination just takes off but their skill at bringing creative things to life is is stunted because our society doesn't teach you how to do art and so you get to that age and they go well if I'm not talented if I haven't got this innate kind of creativity skill uh, I mustn't be an artist And, and they give up and you see it, like you'll see, you'll see kids just kind of, they'll draw like mad up until about that age and then they just give up because they believe this lie that you need to have some mystical talent in order to create something. And it is a lie. If you've got the, the manual dexterity to write your name, you've got all the physical skill you need to paint a masterpiece, to, you know, build anything, right? So, yes, absolutely. I, I think anyone, should they take the time and learn the skills, can, can make their own tools and can, can create their own art. And it doesn't have to be good by any objective standard to be good for you. So, yes, pick up your stick and, and turn that into a wand, as 
with whatever skill set you currently have, and it's a wand. So I try to make myself available to make things for people, but I also try to make myself available to, to teach people how to do it themselves. And that's always kind of whenever anything comes to me, I kind of go, all right, well, what are you capable of? Let's work this through. So have, have you actually tried to make a tool? Um, I have not. <laughs> I, I, I guess it's because the thought of the tools that I would make, it would either be, I would just buy the stick outside or I'd want to make something that involves metal. And I'm like, well, I live in an apartment. There's no way I can make some sort of metal object. <laughs> so I haven't really tried, but I will say something that you, you said earlier, that kind of resonated with me about how it doesn't have to be perfect. And I think that's a big thing of people wanting to be perfect every single time and have the maximum capacity to do something. And I think people get discouraged leading up to yeah. that. And you can see this in other things, not even artistic side of things, but like meditation, for example, a lot of people get discouraged with meditation because they can't spend 20 minutes the very first time they ever sit down just clearing their mind and focusing on getting into that meditative state but it takes time and uh, yeah I should I don't know I, I'm excited to hear what you have to say about how to make your own tools because I think I'm gonna have to try some arts and crafts after this well I'm, I'm actually immediately going to challenge you on the I live in a unit I can't do metal work because my my personal athame and I, I've got photos of it online but my personal athame I made it while I was living in a unit <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> yeah so people think that if you're making a tool you have to make it from scratch but we live in a highly industrialized society like half of everything you need is already made for you if you know where to look so I mean I, I was never going to be able to blacksmith my own my own blade but I was able to contact the local and I say local it was in western Australia which is a six-hour flight away but I was able to contact an Australian knife collectors club and through some very kind of um, cagey conversations with them, managed to purchase a blank, which is somebody else has forged the blank, and I and I mail ordered it and had it delivered to my home, and I and I bought a tiny little um little little bench vice which I strapped onto my outdoor setting, and I bought some files and I, you know, refined that that blank down to in, until it was a blade, and I and I had it sent away to be hardened so it would take an edge, and if you take your time to sort of plan out what it is you're making. You can utilize all the different services that are available. Uh, at the time, the, the handle for the knife, um, I sent the, the piece of wood that I'd found a way to be, to be wood turned so that it would fit over the, over the tang of the, of the blank. And, um, you know, I got advice from the Knife Collectors Club on, on how to put it together. And it took me probably about a year, a year and a half of just picking away at it, working out how to do the next bit. And, you know, there were times where, where a piece of metal was ruined and I had to throw it out. And there were times when it worked beautifully. I even went to a, a local um, mechanic to get them to put the, the thread in, in a piece of brass that's part of the part of the knife. So it's like, you don't have to do everything yourself either. And I mean, the Thamie's got some, it's a bit rattly in places and it's not perfect, but I've, I've had it now for 20 years. And, you know, it's been my first, my first knife and my only knife in that, in that entire time. And it's, it's lasted beautifully. So I would say if you wanted to make your own Thamie, it is perfectly possible. And you just make sure that you're not trying to build an unattainable dream. <laughs> <laughs> you you craft your design to what what you've got available to you and you're willing to change as you go along and and you're willing to learn new skills as you go along and if you um if you imagine going through that process taking a year to kind of learn how to cut brass and file you know metal and 
and I went, went and did a leather work course to make the, uh, the sheath. You know, you, you, when you go and you learn all those skills, then that, that knife isn't just a knife. It is an, it's, a, it's a tale. It's a story of how you went about learning to do all of those things. And you can imagine, you know, that that's, you know, people sort of flippantly say, if you make your own tools, they've got more power. They've got more power because you put power into them, but through your efforts. And they become part of you because you put energy and time and effort and you, you've made a commitment to learn something, you know, and that's, that's you know, part of the reason why, why I love making tools is that um, it's an effort of will. It's an, it, you know, it, it's effort that you bring into the world. You manifest something in the real world. And whether or not it's perfect, it, it's relevant. It's the fact that you, you went to that effort. So, yes, while my um, knife isn't particularly 100% perfectly manufactured, I love it to bits. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine spending that much time on a tool. I mean, you're really putting your your soul into it at that point. And I can imagine too, there must have been times when you were making it where did you ever think like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm doing something wrong or it's not gonna actually happen? Or did you ever have any doubt or worry about it actually coming to be completed? Uh, yes and no, because because you're you're doing it in parts and you're and you're adapting as you go along. If you, you ruin something, you change your plan. Yes, you hold what you want in your head and you draw a plan and you, you work out what you'd like it to look like at the end, but you have to remain kind of a little bit open. There, there were times like when, especially cutting the brass, I wasted some pieces of brass trying to work out how to cut it correctly. And, you know, and there was a, an instance there where I thought I'd, I'd spent like, you know, probably three weekends working on a piece of brass and then I drilled the hole out that the tang was going to thread into just a tad too big and I thought damn it I'm gonna have to do this all over again but I managed to adapt it and make it work so yes it's not necessarily about it's not necessarily about like being so sure you know or being really confident with it you can be you can be nervous and you can be worried and you can kind of pick away at it. But as long as you just have that, that commitment to just solve the problems as they come along, you tend, tend to get there in the end. There's been very few tools that I've had to sort of throw out and start again. And sometimes those accidents are happy ones. And, you know, you end up with something better than you thought you were going to get. And I guess that's the nature of, of, of magic as well. Sometimes, you know, you throw something out there and you get something back that you, you weren't intending but works. Uh, and that happens all the time, making tools. That happens all the time in magic. Things almost never turn out the way you actually think that they're going to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I find it all the time, especially with the wands that I make. So I guess I'll sort of segue over into talking about the wands. <laughs> you, I was talking before about a tool being uh, an expression of a story, of a person's tale, of the, 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 the way, you know, just the process of making it becomes part of the power of it. But there's also, whenever I make wands, I make them for other people. There's only so many wands I can actually, you know, own. And when I do that, I find that the, the, the way that coincidences line up is just beautiful. So I'll give you an example. There was one wand I was working on where the woman who had commissioned the wand, she was from an Asian heritage, so she wanted uh, some connection to that. But she also worked with Hades. And Hades not as the sort of creepy underworld god, but as the god of he who receives all, the, the great host, the keeper of the wealth of beneath the earth. So she had a very homely, kind kind of um, relationship 
with Hades. And so she wanted her wand to be made out of white poplar. If people know the, the, the myths of the underworld, the white poplar features as uh, one of the trees that, that, that guards one of the, the pools of, I can't remember if it's remembrance or forgetfulness, but it's gone in my brain. But she wanted her, this, this wand to be made of white poplar. And I mean, I live in Sydney, Australia. Some of these European trees can be a little bit hard to, to find, but I did eventually find a stand of European trees uh, that included white poplar around the a reflection pool at a war memorial. And I so I contacted her and went, look, it's a, it's a war memorial in Hyde Park in Sydney. And are you okay with me investigating these trees to be the source for your wand? And she's like, oh, I was married in Hyde Park, just down the, just down the park from there. Oh my god! So she's like, "Yes, please, you know, use those trees." And she's like, "You know, it's a war memorial, and you know, and part of the the underworld connections are there." And and I got married there, so it's kind of like a you know a life and death thing going on there. So yes, so I went down and and I picked this this poplar, and it was just um, you know, one of those one of those scenarios where the the source of the wood became part of the story, and then eventually, as the wand evolved, uh, it had a, a black leather handle and um, a jet ball at the end and when you unscrewed the ball off the end of the wand there was a compartment inside where I put um, four 24 karat gold gilded pomegranate seeds so (laughs) this is the mad stuff I do right a gild pomegranate seeds but anyway um, so there was the number four for the the death aspect from her Asian culture and the hidden gold inside the end of the wand and the the pomegranate seeds as the food of the dead and the black jet ball and you know the black leather and the white poplar and even though the wand at the end looked quite plain the depth of of symbolism that we'd woven together to make that wand meant that it was it was she was able to sort of hold her own story in her hand um and able to kind of like every time she pick up that wand it's like all of those different elements coming together you can imagine why a wand like that would be particularly powerful to that individual person nobody else would get it but for her it was um it was quite special. When I do these ones, when I do these these tools, that's what that's the thing I'm trying to capture is a person who knows what they want, but they don't know exactly how they want it. Uh, it gives it freedom for the um, for the the design to to flow and and for that person's story to emerge and for coincidence to kind of uh, take place along the way. So I think if you are making your own tools, focus on on your story, not on whether or not. The piece of wood is, you know, pure or or the crystal is a particular kind or you've made it under a full moon or you concentrate on your story because ultimately that's what you want to hold in your hand, right? It's an expression of you. Um, it's a piece of art as much as it is a tool. It's an extension of yourself. Absolutely. And so if you do wander into the bush and have a, sorry, the forest, we've got bush here, forest everywhere else. If you do wander into the forest and, and, and have an experience and pick up a stick and that stick is boring and plain, it doesn't matter because the story is the, the experience you had with it. And if you do nothing with that stick, it still has a story. It still has a, a, an experience attached to it. So uh, when I talk about it not having to be perfect, it's, that's what I'm talking about. It's like it's uh, the energy doesn't come from from other people's objective, other people's understanding of what's special and magical. It comes from what it represents to you. Yeah. 
That's beautiful. <laughs> that that whole that whole story of that one was absolutely beautiful. I have chills. Just like with the twenty four carat pomegranate seeds, that just blew my mind. Like, oh my gosh, it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know, and before I did that wand, I had no idea how to gild anything. You know, I'd never done that before, and that's what I, I mean. You've got to be willing to to learn something new and other ones I've learned how to etch metal I've learned how to carve wood you know I've learned how to do leather work and like there's one I'm working on right now where I've joined the local lapidary club and I'm learning how to cut and polish stones because the the, the gentleman who's commissioned me has a has a particular stone from his country of birth that you can only get there and he wanted that incorporated into his wand and so it's like well you know, I'm going to go and learn how to cut this this gemstone for you, uh, and do and learning. I'm learning currently how to do silver work as well, which I've never done before. So yeah, so I would challenge anyone who's listening and who wants to learn, who wants to make their own tools, just be committed to learning, and take it slow, and you know, and you know, take your time. This is the one I'm working on currently. It's probably been almost a year since the start. I've started it. And that's that's the good thing about the people I work with is that like, you know they are very patient with me, <laughs> but I don't charge them any money. So that's the trade-off. Is right. People come to me and they kind of go, uh, I've got this mad idea for this wand, and I go, Great, let's do it. And then they go, Oh, how much is that going to be? And I sort of say, Well, it's going to be whatever the materials cost because you're bringing me something that I find an enormous enjoyment in doing, and I'm going to take my sweet time. So I'm not going to charge you for my time. <laughs> I'll only charge you for the materials, which is weird by some people's standards but what it does is it means that the people who do come to me they get it they understand that the the exchange that's happening is that I'm actually having a fantastic time and they're okay with that some people it puts them off if they can't give me money so I do realize that 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 process is a bit is a bit strange a bit weird but it means I do maybe one two ones a year maximum and I have a fantastic time doing it. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. But, you know, I, I love your perspective on how to make your wand, essentially. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've heard a lot of stories of, you know, if you're going to make a wand, like, oh, one person says to pick a branch off a ground or a stick. And another person says, take it from a tree. I, I believe in one of my very, very early episodes, my coven sister was talking about the person that she trained from before she moved down to our area, told her about how she wanted to make a wand. It was best to take the branch off uh, or the stick or whatever you want to call it, (laughs) off of a living tree because then it still has the energy of that tree inside and then you can consecrate it and kind of keep that in there. And, you know, I'd always have heard, you know, of course you want to have like the little journey or the story leading up to it, but I feel like that part of it was always understated for lack of a better word. And just hearing your explanation of, of how you made that other one, I'm just like, wow, it's a really powerful thing. And, and it really is about putting your time and energy into it. And I think that if somebody wants to make a wand, it doesn't matter if they find, you know, their stick on the ground. It doesn't matter if they find it off a tree. I think it's what that means to you and the significance behind it versus, oh, this one is like a good shape and I just found it on the ground. Let's go home. Yeah, if you're finding yourself making a purely decorative item, you'll find it a little bit dead in your hand, I think. Um, if you, as I said, you've got to sort of, um, I guess all witchcraft is a bit like this. You've got to work out what makes your heart sing, right? I, I think if more people thought of their, their the way they express their religion as, 
as more of an art than a science, then we'd be in a better place. So I think when you talk about there's different rules and law and, you know, you have to sort of work out why that works and if it works for you. And I think, as I said, with all with all kind of, I think with all witchcraft, the, the point there is to find the thing that makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Like I've got a saying, if your magic doesn't move you, it doesn't can't move the world. So whatever rules that you hear about and you want to use, if they feel kind of dry and annoying to you, then, then using that particular piece of law or that particular rule is not going to produce a wand that will particularly work for you. And again, if you just create something that's a bit decorative because you think that's what a wand ought to look like, again, you're missing the point. You've got to tell your own story and make your own hairs on the back of your neck stand up while you're doing so. You know, you've got to excite yourself. Uh, you know, when I when I hear you talking about, um, you know, someone told you you needed to cut the tree to retain it energy, I've heard that piece of law as well. I've also heard it completely counter piece of law which is oh you should only take wood that's fallen from the tree been freely given i'm like well both of those are kind of counter to each other but they both have a story behind it and you use the one that makes sense to you because you're crafting that buzz that story that hair on the back of your neck kind of experience for yourself so personally i will work with with people and if they have a particular way they'd like it done I, I honour that. So some people will say, no glue, please, at all. And I've sort of had to go and experiment with rice glue and all sorts of crazy stuff. Some people will say, it needs to be from this particular tree, and they'll bring me the piece of wood because it's a tree that's that's special to them. Some people will say, don't cut it. Some people will say, pick it up off the ground. But it's like, it's, so whatever works for you. I think I'm probably belabouring this particular point, but I think you understand <laughs> what I'm talking about. Oh, absolutely. I'm one of those people that for me, I would want it to be already taken off like a branch on the ground or not on the tree because I feel bad even plucking. I have a rose bush on my balcony and I feel bad even taking the flowers off that. So just to bring inside. So I'll just sit there and look at them for a day and then watch them die. And I'm like, you know, if I pluck them off and put them in water, they probably would have lasted a couple more days than like me just watching them die in the heat outside. <laughs> but I, I feel bad taking from the plant. And I know taking a branch from a tree, I, gosh, I would feel awful doing that. But that's just me. You know, I, I know a absolutely. lot of other people would absolutely prefer to take it straight from the source. I just feel bad doing that. <laughs> See, uh, I've used both. I have cut wand wood from a tree and I always make sure to give something back. So I joke, I have a friend of mine, we used to go driving and if we'd see particular species of tree we were, we were interested in we'd always have like a, a, a container of slow release fertilizer in the back of the car and a pair of secateurs oh my goodness <laughs> so I always like to try and give something back and if I have nothing to give back they're really you know on me at the moment I will use a piece of my own hair it's a little bit like I feel like if I'm going to cut part of a tree trees aren't really like us and I feel like it is like giving a tree a trim obviously you never take something from a tree that that hasn't got the capacity to give it if it's sort of small and sickly don't but if there's a you know big flourishing tree and and you'd like to take it you can I think and as I said I give a little piece of my hair back it's a bit like saying you've, you've trusted me with a piece of yourself I'm going to trust you with a piece of myself so I'll tie a little piece of my hair around the tree or I'll, as I said if I've got it I'll put something in the soil to give back but personally I think I like to use wood that's fallen if I can. And mostly from a practical perspective, wood that's fallen off a tree has probably already dried. Sometimes if you cut wood green, it'll bend and warp as it dries. 
So you never quite know what the shape is that you're going to get after that process is complete. So you could like cut this piece of wood from a tree and then find that it's this twisty mess when you actually go to use it for a wand and it can be quite disappointing. So I think there's nice symbolism in a piece of wood that's fallen from a tree that's already dried. It might have undergone a sort of a process of breaking down a little bit too, which can leave really interesting patterns in the wood. Sometimes a nice sort of dark striations and things that become quite interesting when you reveal what's underneath the bark. And again, you, you know, if you're that way inclined, it, you haven't damaged the tree to, to get it. It's just part of nature. That wood that I got from the white poplar trees had actually fallen in a, in a big breeze the night before. So I didn't actually have to cut any of that. Oh, there you go. That's pretty convenient then. <laughs> yeah. So it does, again, that was a bit of a nice coincidence the night before. There was a big wind went through and blew a whole lot of sticks down. So I had about <laughs> a dozen to choose from. <laughs> hey, gotta gotta use what nature gives you, right? From yeah. all aspects, all yeah. elements. That's absolutely. Uh, and there's a you know there's always a, a way to to forge a relationship there with whatever you're doing. You just have to sort of think it through and take it slow and and you know be willing to to adapt. So that's very yeah. true. Cool. Should we move into uh, if somebody wanted to make their own wand, how should they get started? Well, I would say find a piece of wood to begin with that speaks to you. You know, wood wood that's got a story or experience behind it is is probably the best. Sometimes people will bring me pieces of wood that are, are beautiful and interestingly shaped, and and they kind of hold it and they look at me and they're like, I'm, I'm not sure if this is quite a wand. And I'm like, well, as long as where you hold it lines up with where you point it you can generally make it work <laughs> if it's so twisty that it twists back around on itself you might you might psychologically have difficulty with that so I would say yes look for a piece of wood that's about oh there's a piece of law which is a piece of a wand should be from the middle uh, of your elbow so the inside of your elbow where the crease is to it should be as long as your forearm. So inside of your elbow with the creases to the middle finger of the hand which you will use which you will use to wield it. That said, that's not a hard and fast rule. My personal wand is about five centimeters longer than that. But it's a nice little way of uh, of tying it to yourself. And it also produces a wand that's of a length that doesn't feel awkward in the hand. It's just a a nice little piece of, of law you can use if you choose to. So uh, you want a, lo- a wand long enough to feel nice in your hand. You want a piece of wood that's that's from a tree that has some meaning to you or an experience associated with it. If you are if you're working with different trees in some of the um, there's spiritual systems that will place on a and have particular meanings for different trees. People who are interested in European law can look at the the alms for for really interesting body of law around different trees. Or you can use whatever is is in your local area that has meaning to you. So find a piece of wood that's got meaning. I would say you don't really need to do very much to it at all if you don't want to. There are techniques for removing the bark that. I show people sometimes you can leave some of the bark on there as a sort of a handle. I'm just trying to keep it simple because, you know, I could go into sort of weird detail and it probably wouldn't be particularly um, useful for people. But I do do wand making workshops from time to time where I can go into the detail of it. And I do have some notes on my website, which I, which does go into some of the detail of different sort of physical techniques for actually literally taking the bark off and sanding it down. One little tip I, I tend to teach people is that when you are sanding, like with any piece of wood, you would sand through the different grades of, of sandpapers. And when you get to the final couple of sandings, what I like to do is get wet and dry sandpaper, black sandpaper that's quite fine. And you use like a, a, an oil 
to sandwich towards the end of that process. And what that does is it impregnates the oil into the timber and, and uh, preserves it and uh, gives it a nice shine without using your polyurethanes and that sort of thing. Does that make sense? You can use a wax at the end as well. I've got recipes and things for all, for all of that on available if people if people want that. I can probably find a link for that later. Yep. Okay. Talking about how we'd go back making the, the wand. To be honest, you can sort of sand the wood down and leave it at that if you want sand and oil the wood and leave it at that if you want. Quite a lot of my wands feature something at the handle end of the wand, like a, a I used brass a lot, like a you know a brass knob, or a, I've used sort of leather, like you make a Turk's head knot, and then have that at the end of the wand. Some I like having something with a bit of a weight at the end of the wand because it brings a sort of balance point. You sort of balance the stick on your finger, you, you know, it brings a balance point down to the handle end, and it means it's actually kind of weightless in your hand, which is just a nice little thing to do. So I would say I don't tend to use a tremendous amount of crystals. Uh, mostly because I, f I feel like you really have to get them matched properly. You can't just sort of pick up any bit of wood and any crystal and sort of bung them together. It doesn't really kind of, for me, it doesn't really kind of work very well unless they're a, a, a well-matched pair. So I, would, I wouldn't worry if you're, an, if you're a beginner and you, and you think you, your wand has to have a crystal on it. I would tell you that it doesn't necessarily have to have a crystal on it. Uh, and I would, I guess I would also encourage people to draw a picture or write a description of their wand before they start. Something to keep them on track. Um, when I do workshops, we do like a, a guided meditation, which is essentially a way for people to visualize their wand before they start to make it. And having that picture in your mind of what it is that you are working towards helps keep you focused and helps you to eventually come up with something that is that will will work for you. Can you can work on that design? You can you can keep it with you while you're working. It's like a focus. And not everyone can draw. That's cool. Or feel they can draw. So if people in the workshops can't feel like they can get what they need out of drawing, they can write a description. I want my wand to be you know as long as my arm plus plus an inch. You know it's going to be about you know a centimeter thick because I want a thin whippy one and you know that sort of thing. Just 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 describe it. And so you've got a bit of focus there for yourself. You don't need particularly expensive tools, a bit of sandpaper, a bit of oil, and like a craft knife, you probably get you by. I don't particularly make wands out of anything other than wood, to be honest. So it couldn't really necessarily help. If someone wanted one made of copper, I could do it, but I, I would have to go and learn how. <laughs> I couldn't give you advice off the top of my head. Does, does that help? Oh, definitely. You definitely. you definitely inspired me to uh, make a one. I have one that I won at a pagan pride festival about two years ago. Mm. But aside from that, I, I don't actually have a legitimate one. I mean, I have the one that I won, but I, I don't know. I just never really bonded with it, I guess you could say. And it's, yeah. it's okay. It's fine. So, so here's a thought exercise. Then if you were to make your own wand, what kind of wood would you pick? Oh my goodness. I actually have no idea. <laughs> I guess that my first thought would be maybe from an ash tree, considering my name's Ashley. But <laughs> I feel like that's oh, not yeah, really okay. a, a good enough reason. I'm like, nah, I don't, I don't know if I, I, I want to go with that as my reason, because that, that's literally it. I barely even know what an ash tree looks like. Ah, that's all right. That's what the internet's for. <laughs> um, all right. So what about if you've, if you've got any wooded areas that you, you utilize for ritual? You know, have you got any trees that are special to you? 
Gosh, you know, I wish that I did. I uh, <laughs> I used to live where there was a lot more trees, but I, I recently moved this year to a completely corporate area oh. where I live off like a busy road and there's yeah. really nothing around me. So I, God, I, I miss living where the trees are. But, you know, where I lived before, it wasn't very private. It was very public. So even then, I never really got a chance to go outside in the woods and do some fun stuff under the full moon, but God, I, <laughs> I wish I could have done that. Now, you know, so off the top of my head, I, I don't have a tree that I can think of right now that I would use, but at the same time, I am big in using my athame. Yep. So I guess maybe I'm just not ready for one yet. I don't know. <laughs> I guess I'm just, I guess I'm just, uh, Maybe when I move for an apartment and, and one day get my own house, I don't know if I stop buying avocado toast, I'm a millennial. So apparently that's why I can't afford a house. <laughs> maybe, maybe one day when I stop doing that, I will have access to, to trees and, and I will be able to make a one the way that you mentioned. And, and God, I would love to do that, but who knows? You'd be surprised how many people will just bring me a piece of wood that, that just has appeared in their lives somehow, you know, um, yeah, it you, you know once the intention's out there, you know I know it sounds a bit a bit woo, but once the intention's out there, sometimes the the wood will just sort of drop in your lap. I literally have had people say I was sitting in a park and this piece of wood dropped in my lap. So, <laughs> gosh, that's so true of just witchcraft in general. I feel like whenever you're ready for something, it just appears. It just appears. So you know, and you you might find you'd be doing some study uh, in a particular area that interests you, and then a whole ton of law that you you just become suddenly fascinated by jumps out like uh, I had one woman who who wasn't really interested in me making the wand for her but just wanted to know where she could find an oak tree and I I actually keep like a a google map and every time I find an interesting tree I stick it on the google map so because I get these sorts of requests all the time and so she wanted to know where there's an oak tree near her and I went oh you just wandered down to Sydney University there's piles of them there and she's like oh my god I did not know they were already in Sydney I'm like there's heaps of oak trees you know so she'd been you know reading a lot of myth and just you know oak trees oak trees oak trees were just on her mind so that can happen too so you know if you're looking if you're in Sydney and you're looking for a particular tree I probably could point you in the right direction (laughs) kind of unrelated so I'm thinking a lot of people listening to this may not know I do talk about this in my tools and terms episode that I did forever ago but could you explain why somebody would possibly use a wand versus an athame that can be different depending on which body of law you're looking at. That's true. The Athame is a, more of a, a tool of command, I think. It has a very strong presence in circle, and sometimes you might want to use a wand for working with the more gentler energy. Wands are also the way uh, some of the, the people I work with use wands is also quite specifically for certain kinds of invocation, especially sort of invocations into a person. So there's different kinds of wands that you use for different forms of invocation. So sometimes that gets a little bit lost if, if you're a solitary. Obviously, you're not doing that kind of work particularly often so it could sometimes be a bit missing in a body of understanding that a solitary might have because they might not necessarily be working with others so I would say if you are a, a solitary and you feel like you feel like you want to work with energies in a, in a slightly less commanding fashion you might use a wand yeah people say that the wand and the athamia are interchangeable I I sort of disagree they have their own energies uh, and they are subtly different and I think I would have to sort of put it on to people to work that out a little bit for themselves. Does that does that help? Oh yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, I I agree with you as well. I think there there's such a difference between the two of them. Yeah. 
I'm one of those, like, I like the balls to the wall. Like, let's just throw all the energy in all at once. So, like, give me me a thame. Like, let's go. Let's go. Yeah, it is very direct. It's very commanding, whereas mm-hmm. uh, the wand can be a little bit more persuasive, a little bit earthier. I tend to use it to draw my circle with the athame and call my quarters with the wand. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because it, the, the circle is a, is a thing of energy and you are moving your energy and the energy of the world around you and you can be quite you know, direct and commanding with that. But when I'm doing my quarters, depending on the, the style of quarter calling I'm doing, I'm working with individual guardians that I have a personal relationship with. So sometimes it doesn't feel right to kind of point a knife at them. <laughs> Um, uh, and and it it does depend on the nature of that relationship as well like if you are like um, in a more ceremonial mode and you are literally coercing spirits to your will you might want to use a knife um but for the way the way that i work the uh the those quarter guardians are you know individuals that i've developed a individual relationship with i know them they know me we chat um, <laughs> you know, so, uh, so it, that's, it feels more appropriate for me to use a wand. Yeah, no, I, I can actually, I, I understand what you're saying. And I think in the episode that I did where I talked about the difference between them, I think that one of the examples that I had uh, mentioned was something about how if you were going to work with like the Fae, for example, and you were trying to, I don't know, talk to them or, or whatever, you wouldn't want to have your Athame pointing at them. That's a little aggressive. <laughs> you know, using a wand's a little gentler. Yeah, it rather depends on the scenario with the Fae though, doesn't it? <laughs> Sometimes. Oh yeah, I mean, that that's very true too. <laughs> And, and I know the Fae have a thing with iron as well, but, uh, you know, and, and just hearing that as, um, cause I, I remember reading that somewhere online and I was like, oh, you know, that's, that's a good point. I wouldn't want to point a knife <laughs> at some sort of earthly spirit. So if you're doing a quarter calling and, you know, you're, you're working with the elements, it, it, that, that makes sense to me of why you would use a wand, especially if it's made out of wood, cause that wood has interacted with all four of the elements. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so is most manufactured matter, but the wand kind of, yes. <laughs> In a more, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 oh, it's permeate, permeated with all of them. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't think my thumb may spend a lot of time outside. <laughs> it probably would have been all rusted if it did. <laughs> oh, I think a rusted athame is a, um, a sign of a good witch. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I think I do have, I do have some little tidy rust spots. You know, when I, when I got mine, I saw a model in the store and it was this nice, pretty, shiny model. And then I said, okay, this is the one I want. And then they came and they gave me a box and they put it in a bag and I didn't look at it until after I had already gotten the car and wasn't at the store anymore. And when I opened it, I saw they gave me a different one versus the one that they had in their case. Oh. And it had those, um, they're not necessarily rust, I think, but it's, you know, when you have, um, copper and it gets like that blue stuff on it you kind of scrape it off verdigris yeah 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 it had that all over the handle and a little bit all over the blade too and I remember I was really mad I was just like oh my gosh like how could they give this to me like obviously they weren't taking good care of their tools and I scraped some of it off but then I was like you know what I kind of like the color (laughs) (laughs) you know it it doesn't look super pretty but I kind of like it 
And to this day, I still have some of those marks on my plate and on my, my handle. And I refuse to knock them off because I'm like, no, like it gives a character. <laughs> like, even though it's not the prettiest looking, like this, this is my little dude. Like this is how he came. And I like him like this. It's a little bit like, it's a bit like that Japanese art. I can't remember what it's called. Is it Kintsugi? Where they, where they honor the brokenness of something by repairing it with gold. Yes. Uh, yes. And I think each tool is, you know, if you use a tool, it's going to get marred. And I think uh, it's like a person. No, Nobody escapes life without a couple of scars. You know, you just you go to any party and show a scar and see what happens, right? It's the same with tools. <laughs> I think about that all the time. I, I, I read this quote where it was pretty much what you were saying, how if you ever find a body that has no scars on it after death, it's like, well, like, what life did they live yeah. if they don't have a single marking on them? I mean, my God, I, I still have a scar on my hand that I hate it, but it's there. When I was 18, 19 years old, working at a Bed Bath & Beyond, and I cut my hand on a Keurig coffee maker box. And, you know, almost almost 10 years later, I still have a scar. And I'm like, you know what? That sucks. But I will always remember my first real retail <laughs> job whenever I look at my hand. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, so... Just as the making of a wand for, or a tool forges a story, so does its use. You know, people will tell you stories about, oh, the, the time that the, the pommel fell off their athame mid-circle or, you know, or they they sat on their wand and broke it, <laughs> you know, or the rust spots, rust spots and, and, and unraveling leather it happens it's it's life you you repair when you can't repair you start again you know it's how things go uh, I mean I had a, a friend of mine who's who's a thamey of about 30 years actually fell apart in her oh. hand the night oh. her father died <laughs> oh my goodness yeah and so she took it as a sign that she needed to make a new one and she did and uh she actually went and forged it out of out of copper it was an incredible thing oh my gosh very badass. yeah it was really um it was really rough it was really primal but damn it suited her <laughs> yeah and it's just if anyone's listening and they're thinking to themselves oh I wish I could do that just imagine me giving you a little slap upside the head and saying you damn well can <laughs> <laughs> absolutely can go and do it you know and seek advice if you need it don't don't assume that you you know how it's done go and learn that's true and I think it's so important to know too that if you're going to make your own tool it doesn't have to be the most aesthetically pleasing tool I, I've definitely seen some beautiful tools that would do great on Instagram <laughs> yeah. but in reality they just they don't go and, and I think that's one of the cool things too um, people tend to match their tools in a way mm -hmm. so I'll say my athame when I bought it, I didn't realize it, but it's massive <laughs> compared to <laughs> what a normal size is. Like, it's longer than my forearm. It, it's quite big. Uh, everybody kind of calls, calls it my, my mini sword. Your mini but, sword. Yep. Oh, my gosh. In circle. It's, it's insane. <laughs> like, my, my high priestess and, and my high priest are taller than me. And the, I, if I didn't have this tall athame, I'd have to be standing on my tiptoes sometimes <laughs> just to, like, be able to reach them. I don't know. <laughs> but but I, I, have, I have this massive knife, essentially. <laughs> and, um, I don't know. It, it, it's just one of those that I look at other people's athames and I'm like, oh, that one's cool. Or, like, oh, that one's so pretty. But there's something about mine that I'm like, it's not the prettiest. It has these imperfections on it, but it's mine. Mm. And 
I just love it. But it would not do well on Instagram at all. Oh no, <laughs> it's, it's it's not it's not the prettiest. No. Yeah, look, and I know I know what you mean about mat- matching your tools. Like all of mine are. I don't know why. Everything I own is brown. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you know my. It, I, and it's it's funny because they all match my altar table, and my altar table was given to my parents from my grandparents for their wedding. And it's the most hideous 1970s chunky brown coffee table with like uh, brown tiles all over it. And for some reason, the table has kind of like infected all of my other tools. <laughs> so ev- everything <laughs> I own is like uh, is in 70s mission brown. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But that just suits me to a T. It's like it's plain. It's functional. And, you know, you can you can chip wax off tiles all day long um but my so my (laughs) my personal wand of all the of all the wands that I've made my personal wand is very very plain it's a piece of apple wood with brown leather and a little brass ball on the end and you know I I look at it and I go well that's that's just who I am I'm my stuff is plain my stuff is functional. My stuff is easily to, easy to clean. Um, <laughs> and I make things for other people that are for them. And that's cool too. So, you know, if, you, if you're if you dreaming of a, of a you know, something sparkly and amazing, uh, as long as that suits you, go for it. But personally, my stuff's very, uh, very functional. Yeah. And, you know, you might be surprised by what you end up making and how it turns out and how you relate to it. You know, and I think... Just a pure act of making it, making it yourself will mean you'll fall in love with it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You customize it the way that you want, and there's something to be said about making it yourself versus buying it at the store. Mm, absolutely. I look. I know people have bought things at the store, uh, and then gone back and made things themselves because they just never connected with the thing they bought, and that's you know part of the reason why I don't just make wands and just just sell them because it's kind of not the point. How do you know that that's going to the right person? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Exactly. You don't. You yeah. So I, I like to do things custom. So that's just how I am. Um, awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. This has been a really awesome discussion. I've really enjoyed this. Oh, look, I could go for another, you know, three hours if you let me. But because um, <laughs> this has been a, a this has been fun, and you know, and I and I wouldn't look. I, I get really really excited when other people get really really excited and they want to talk about this stuff. So, I'm not sure I'm going to throw my whole world out to anyone who's got a question, but um, if people, you know, if people have something specific, you know, I'm happy to answer questions. So, yeah, I don't know how you go about connecting with your community, but yeah, I'm around. (laughs) (laughs) So how could somebody get in contact with you? Do you have a website or an email address or social media page or any of the above, all of the above, any of the above? Uh, I'm I'm on Facebook, I am technically on Instagram, but I'm an old person and I don't get Instagram. So, um, <laughs> you know, I've got a I've got a website at urbanfawn.com. Um, it's mostly just a gallery of stuff I've done. I don't really do much there. So, if you if you wanted to ask me questions, look up Urban Fawn on Facebook, where I, I, I do most of my interacting with people and post what I'm working on, whatever project's happening at the time. You know, sometimes I'll throw old photos up there uh, and just chat with people there. It's not a particularly popular page. I think I've only got about 300 people. <laughs> 300 people is a lot of people. Uh, 
Yeah, I know most of them though, so they're just all friends. <laughs> That's even better. That means it's a personal connection. It's a personal connection. <laughs> so if you know, if people are, are looking to make their own tools and they've got questions, I'm happy to help. Um, and just find me on Urban Fawn uh, on Facebook, and yeah, that'd be the best place. I will. I will post a link to your Facebook page in the description for this episode too. So if anybody is interested and needs help finding it, you can find it in the bio. Fantastic. Awesome. And then for anybody listening, I'm sure you all probably know how to find the find the show at this point. But if not, you can find me on Facebook at Seeking Witchcraft Podcast, my Facebook group, which is Witches Seeking Witchcraft, on Instagram at Seeking Witchcraft, on Twitter at Seek Witchcraft. Or uh, if you want to help support the show, you can do so by going on Patreon and my, uh, it's just patreon.com slash Seeking Witchcraft, you know, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> just if you just look up seeking witchcraft you'll probably find me <laughs> absolutely that's how i found you <laughs> oh there we go see <laughs> yeah. all right well thank you joe so much for coming on this has been such a wonderful conversation i i i'm really inspired <laughs> after our, ca- our talk today this has been really really great well, i'll catch up with me later and I'll, I'll tell you how to do stuff <laughs> oh awesome all right well thank you so much everybody for listening and i'll talk to you next time bye bye